0: Hello and welcome to the DAO of WOW, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I am Laura Hilliger.
1: And I'm Doug Belshaw. This podcast season is currently unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com forward slash we are open. Today, we're joined by Alex Ward andrews an engineer and member at Common Knowledge Co-op. So welcome to you, Alex.
2: Thanks very much for having me.
1: So this is season three of our podcast. We've got lots of questions for you, especially co-op related. But as we usually start, could we ask you what your favorite
2: book is and maybe why that's the case? So, uh, yeah, obviously you said over the question beforehand that I have been thinking about this a little bit. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to take a kind of slightly different take. I don't know if I actually have a favorite book um really, um but I often have books that that i that have been very important recently to me um, and I think the one the one that I probably go for at this time is I'm reading a book that's called Flawless Consulting, which is basically a book about how to be a flawless consultant. And I really like it because the premise is, uh, you know, you can consult, be in a consultancy relationship flawlessly, which what? I quite like, because um, obviously, you know, it's, you tend to, you know, being a consultant is often full with quite a lot of worry, like, am I doing a good job? Will they take my advice? Like, what am I actually, what is this thing I'm doing, providing advice for people, and analyzing situations? And flawless consulting is very good because it gives it basically talks about the nuts and bolts of this, particularly as it relates to people's emotions, um, both your emotions as a consultant and the emotions of the the organization you're consulting for. And it's very wise about power relations and networking. You know, basically working out those power relations. Uh, it's very concrete, and it's quite funny as, at times as well. Um, and yeah, I think I would so so it's probably not my favourite book, but it's the book that I'm most influenced by at the moment. Um, and yeah, I recommend it. Um it's really love. it's a really lovely book. It's very well designed as well. It's got very wide margins. And he says in the introduction he's deliberately got wide margins, so you can write in it. It's designed to be written. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. And So um, how did you come across this book? Where did it was it recommended to you or Yeah, so basically I, you know, at some point Googled best books on consulting Hmm. and uh, came up with this book. I think also I was kind of aware of the author whose name escapes me for the moment, but they've also written another book that I I saw around. It was on like the the politics of community or what what a community Is is. Peter Block? I'm just Googling it now. Yeah, Peter Block. So he's written a book on kind of community as well. It's very interesting. And I'd read completely separately in another life when I was studying philosophy. So, yeah, it was interesting that he had um, you know, written this book that is much more that is in a, in a sense actually about community. Um, but he'd also worked as a consultant. And I find sometimes examples of people who have had a professional life as a consultant. For example, the cybernetician Stafford Beer, who was like a consultant. I find it just quite interesting. So yeah, that's the book that I'm reading at the moment is most influential to the way I'm thinking right now.
0: And do you think that this book would um, help me have less of a problem with the word consultant? Because I feel like the connotation of the word consultant in my, I don't know if it comes from childhood or something, but it has kind of a dirty vibe to me. And I'm just, I hate calling my, I am a consultant, but I hate calling myself that. And so I'm wondering if this book would help me uh, see consultants in a better light.
2: Um, I think, you know, it does basically the way that he gets around and gets this idea of flawless consulting is by lowering the bar (laughs) to what that might be uh, in a sense, but also raising the bar by kind of really grasping what it is, which is, you know, Partly a teaching role, partly a role where you're kind of like clarifying situations and providing options, partly a kind of like supporting role, like almost psychological role. Um, mm. I and one thing that he does say in it is that, um, he slightly reframes it you know, consulting may be associated with like doctors, like consultants, and that kind of thing, at least in my mind, outside of uh, you know, this kind of role. And he talks particularly about like the consultant's role is not to provide a diagnosis, um, which I found very provocative because Mm. that's kind of how I view consulting. Someone asks us to solve a problem for them or asks us to explain how you might solve a problem. We jump in, we're like, okay, this, do this. And, you know, provide a diagnosis. But he says, actually, one of the things you should be doing alongside providing a diagnosis is to recognize the strengths of an organization you're working with and mm. promote those as well as just like going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. right, wrong. Um, So I don't know if it will help you about thinking, be more comfortable with the term, but um, it's certainly that, a really good book. That definitely, I, I'm
1: going to go and read this book now, because I think that um, that definitely speaks to some of the relationships or which we have and are in with some of our clients. So yeah, thank you for that. Um no I guess just in parentheses before we get to the, the main part of what we're talking about, I'm interested in your background in philosophy because some of like the idea of something being flawless is like without imperfection and my kind of philosophical background ended up with me being a strong proponent of like American pragmatism and that kind mm-hmm. of philosophy and tradition where you have this asymptopic line towards what truth with a capital T might be or um, you know something which is perfect and it seems so that's what that's in my head when i'm thinking about consulting you're getting close but you'll never get to perfect so it's interesting thinking about something which does actually touch and meet the the line if that makes sense
2: i mean the way that they do it is basically to consult flawlessly is to execute each stage of the consultancy process authentically that's right. the and big, he big thing. he introduces the the process mm. you do each bit perfectly and that
1: and it's the sum. It's it's the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah, basically.
0: Okay. Yes, I'm cool. also going to order this book, so Doug, we can do a book club.
1: Excellent. Let's do it. All right, then. Um, so, Laura, last time we recorded a podcast, we had our esteemed co-op members uh, on it, and we talked about a couple of things. We talked about their predictions and hopes for the future, especially 2022. But we also talked about dormancy, about the fact that we have members who can go dormant. Uh, Two of our members, including me, have been dormant, and we've got one member who is going to go dormant. We're not going to say who that was, because if you don't know, you should go and listen to the previous episode. But Alex, um, let's slip, as we were preparing for this episode, that you also have some kind of similar policy. So before we dig into co-ops in general, and that kind of thing, maybe Alex, you could talk about your version of dormancy
2: at, at common knowledge. And also maybe just say what common knowledge does as well. That would be useful. Sure thing. Um, so common knowledge is a cooperative of uh four members and one apprentice currently. And we build uh tools um, mainly on the web to help people organize for social change. Um so you know at the, the best, you know, kind of like the, the, the coolest work that we do that we really want to do is like building bespoke tools for digital organizing to me- make transformational change. Um, the kind of day to day is often we like build websites and tools and, and provide consultancy around these matters. So that's what we do. Um, yeah. So we have a policy which is called frozen membership. And it's kind of like taken from, you know, when you have a gym and you can like freeze your membership at a gym. So that's there the mental model, and yeah. So we we have had a few members who've frozen like in the early days of the co-op before we kind of all went full time on it to go and do other things. Um, I think that we are probably minded, yeah, to modify the policy. Um, to be honest, because um, we I think that I think it's a really good idea to allow people to take a break or take some some kind of time out. But I think that what we didn't do was really clarify, although it is clear now, like at the start, we didn't like totally clarify like what you know the responsibilities the kind of like this and that of that status are, and there that comes with a bit of internal angst like you know about about that to be honest and- and probably mutual as well, so I think that um yeah, I think it's worked out right in the end, but I think it's a useful. String in the bow of cooperatives to have this kind of rule, um, particularly when they're a little bit, when they're in the kind of formative stages. Um, I mean, for us anyway, because um, at that time, like, it was obviously not like sh- clear to anyone whether this whole thing was going to be a going concern or not. Um, I hope that makes sense.
1: So, have you yourself been frozen
2: at, at any point? Do you plan um... to freeze? No, I haven't had a freeze now. Okay.
0: I have no idea how to say. I was about to say that I'm frozen right now because it's really cold in winter. But then I realized that that you know somebody listening to this in the, in the summer or in Australia, it's gonna. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So, anyway, um, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting to to hear that common knowledge is for members and an apprentice. Uh, we are open as also for members and an intern, i.e. apprentice. I don't know if those uh, terms are quite uh, interchangeable. But
1: When I hear the term apprentice, I either think of um, the TV series with Alan Sugar pointing at people saying you're fired, or I think of The Magician's Apprentice. Where you're, you never, you know, you never finish a, a job because you've got some kind of magic going on. Neither I, of which was awesome.
2: So, um, yeah, no,
0: I only ever think of Fantasia, where Mickey Mouse Fantasia, just makes, yeah, mean, yes,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. That is also the the thing that I that I think about. Um, so this is like this is something you were trying. So um, the apprentice is actually provided from another kind of fan, friend of the networks room, um, which is founders and coders. And the way their model works is, it's kind of like a code boot camp. Plus, you get an apprenticeship at the end of it. So, um, so you know, we funded the person through the code boot camp. We get a little bit of money from the government for doing this, but mainly we fund their placing there, and then we fund them to come along um, and work as an apprentice, and mm. you know, ramp up to be a software engineer um, by you know September. Is when the, the apprenticeship officially ends, and yeah, so it's a new it's a new thing for us to do. I think we felt that it's really important for the cooperative movement broadly to bring people at that stage of their career mm. um, into the kind of mix and like make them aware of like some of the you know strange but cool stuff that we do in the cooperative movement, and like bring up at someone you know their skill set as an engineer while also within the within the sphere of a co-op. And also, you know, traditionally anyway, like co-optives have always had an element of education and apprenticeship is, is part of that educative role. So I think Outlandish
1: are doing that as well, aren't they? They've got a couple of apprentices and maybe Agile Collective. Mm. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was that I think it's Essex University or East Anglia or somewhere down there. They have been asking the Cotet Network about cooperative modules. Because as you say, Alex, like when, you, when you're learning a new trade or job or profession you don't just learn the hard skills you learn everything around it like the norms and the expectations and stuff um and i think sometimes when people say oh you know well to be a cooperator you kind of have to unlearn capitalism i think some people roll their eyes at that a bit and be like oh you're always anti-capitalist whatever but there's definitely something about the default way of organizing and the default way of of societies doing stuff that you have to unlearn a bit to create a space to be able to do something new. So what you described there with an apprenticeship um, is something which happens in all kinds of societies and whatever, but it's going to take on a very different hue when people are joining an organization which has a very flat structure where everyone owns the business, that kind of thing.
0: I think it's really interesting that our co-ops seem to be on parallel tracks at the moment because we – you know, we had this conversation about starting an internship program uh, last year in, in the springtime. And we also had the conversation of, you know, it's sort of our responsibility as true believers in the cooperative mo- movement to help people understand that there is a different way of participating in economic society and there is a different way of working uh, that they might not have learned in school. And it seems that both of our cooperatives are having this conversation right right about the same time, which I just find uh, interesting, given the other similarities that our, yeah. that our co-ops have.
2: Yeah, that's 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 all the case. I think I think you know we try as much as possible to like co- promote like both co optives and like the co-optive like way of working. And you know the ultimate form of this is well, there's you know various strategies you can employ setting up co-ops. So we always, if someone contacts us and wants to set up a co-op, we will always talk to them. Or mm. introducing to someone, we met, have a rule: we we'll spend an hour with them. And like I just saw in the Kotech forum today, someone said, oh, "By the way, that conversation we had, we are now a co-op." So we think it's really important. Awesome. And and then we're like, you know, what's the next step for that apprenticeships? And the scale after that is probably, you know, the kind of training that you'll talk about, talking about Doug, the kind of university courses to do this kind of thing, um, you know, YouTube stuff, you know, kind of massively online, mm. you know, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's definitely something we think about a lot. Obviously, it's not like our core mission per se to like grow other cooperatives, um, but it is something we spend, we we do try and do um, in general.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, You mentioned kind of learning being central to co-ops. Like it's one of the seven cooperative values, isn't it? And, you know, people often talk about um, number six, which is cooperation amongst co-ops, which we could be said to be doing now as producing this podcast.
0: Yeah, and you also so, you also mentioned there you mentioned Kotech, which I think many of our listeners maybe they've yep. never heard of. So uh, both uh, we are open and Common Knowledge are part of a fairly meta idea, a network of it's a it's a co op of co ops, so a meta co op. I tend to call it a meta co op, um, but I. I'd love to know, Alex. How long has common knowledge been a part of CoTech? Have you guys been involved since the, you know, since the early days of CoTech? Have you? Um, how often do you participate? You're giving advice. Are you doing that on the CoTech forum? And just your experience with that network.
2: Yeah. So, you know, briefly, what is CoTech? So, I mean, this is something we can kind of dig into the kind of organizational form it takes. So, at the moment, it's kind of a network of cooperatives in the uk um, that do tech stuff so um, mainly that is um, develop technology or consult around technology um, but there's also some kind of filmmaking kind of cooperatives uh, blake house in the mix as well and i guess the kind of role of the institution is yeah so that cooperatives and they're mostly worker co-ops as opposed to the other type of co-ops consumer co-ops etc um so anyway, you know, they they'll talk to each other, they network with each other, they kind of like help each other out, that kind of thing. And so we've been I have personally been involved with Kotex since before it was like a thing, before it existed, because I um was was a collaborator with Outlandish when they kind of were instrumental in kind of booting the network up, um, back in I think 2017, something like that, like certainly quite a few years ago now. And yeah, so I was at the initial meeting. I lobbied very hard for it not to be called Kotech, but unfortunately lost that argument.
1: Oh, just why was
2: that? Why was that? I just thought it was a rubbish name. Um, <laughs> what how do you feel about it now? Um, it's kind of grown on me now. It's, fi- it's fine. Like my argument at the time was it's fine. It's good enough for now, safe enough to try, as we uh, cooperators who do sociocracy would say. <laughs> but like, it's also extremely boring and not very inspirational. Um, So one of the influences on Kotech is a network called Inspiral that is based in New Zealand. And Inspiral is a much more exciting and what's what's that kind of name? Whereas Mm. Kotech is a bit like Kotech. It's just boring to me. Um, Well,
1: yeah, for those in the UK, it's kind of the one seal. It does what it says on the tin kind of thing, isn't it? I'm just going on the CoTech community forum, which I tend to pay more and less attention to at different points of the year. And interestingly, Gemma from your co-op is there with a, kind of a post about a four-day work week, saying that you're you're trialling um, a four-day work week, and then just asking if other co-ops are are doing it as well. So it's it's kind of chat like that, I guess, but also um, posting jobs and um, funding opportunities and talking about technical stuff. And then there's like a behind the scenes bit, isn't there, for people who are verified members of co-ops as part of co where you can talk about, um, I think because we all put money into a central pot, don't we, like discussions around that and about like meta stuff about the meta (laughs) co-op, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, so there's like, yeah, there's obviously like, well, not obviously, but there's a private element of the forum where you have to be a member of co to get access to. And to be honest, like that isn't, used a vast amount we try and keep stuff as open as possible i think as a general rule and yeah so in there there might be a bit more sensitive discussions you know people are having difficulties they might just bring that and ask for advice um perennial is always you know bidding for work together like does anyone here's this thing like it's probably not for us is it for you or you know one of the things the network does does and has done pretty consistently is collaborations between cooperatives so like um, to give a ex- concrete example, like last year we collaborated with um, Agile Collective and we kind of like provided user, user experience and design in the form of Gemma and uh, basically, you know, filled a gap in their kind of capacity. And this is one of the ideas that the CodeTech will enable, um, you know, filling gaps in capacity, filling gaps in kind of like understanding or knowledge and yeah, working together uh, on projects. And, you know, in yeah, our and, experience, sorry, go.
0: Oh, I was just going to say that um, we benefit from this all the time. I mean, we are currently working on a project uh, together with some folks in Outlandish, um, where they're really leading on one, one strand of the project, and we're leading on another, but they're so highly related. It's really great to be able to fill in the gaps and the types of skills that we don't have amongst our four members. Uh, but you know that that Outlandish has, and vice versa as well. So we've, I mean, we've certainly benefited from the co- from being a member of Cotech and, and being able to have some of these collaborations that that we've been a part of over the years.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think that um, you know one of the the one of the desires of the Cotech network. So there are occasional um, you know IRL meetings, like in real life meetings. There was one, I think, uh-huh. in. Uh, late September. Um, and yeah, so, you know, getting the vibe there is a desire for these closer collaborations and also to establish in a sense, like more clear ground rules, um, about like what these collaborations look like. And in particular, like making sure that if at all possible, people don't like trip over each other and end up going for the same stuff or like, you know, if, if that is going to happen that everyone's like, Oh yes, this is going to happen. Um, but I think there's a desire in the network for closer collaborations. Um, so you very- were there, I think it was Wortley, Wortley,
1: Wortley Hall. Yeah. Um, I We I we went to the second one of those, but not the very first one. So what was, um, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the notes we've made for, for this episode. The difference between the original intention of the Kotech network versus... Like where we are now, and obviously the pandemic changes everything mm, and yeah. all of that. But have you noticed a difference between what the rhetoric was, say, at that first Wortley Hall? Imp- so, Wortley Hall is a stately home, which is now cooperatively owned. Yeah. What was the original intention there? Where are we now? And what do you kind of think about the difference if there is one?
2: yeah so i think i think so so the kind of like found one of the founding um kind of documents was the proposal from outlandish member outlandish called harry um about like it was called it's a blog post called something like arise rise uh, megazord or something like that it's a silly name so his initial idea which i think was a, in collaboration with a member of uh we are open was to basically create um a kind of network of cooperatives where certain like in its kind of fullest extent certain business functions could be shared so for example um you know the stuff we've been talking about people could bid for stuff together and you know get get larger contracts together because if we combined our forces like megazord you know Megazord's one of these transformers which is lots of little robots that become a bigger robot and this was the idea of this and also that there would maybe be some collaboration around like back office stuff so there would be um, you know, uh, for example, there are certain needs that all co-ops have. They they have to have like some kind of like accounting function, some kind of HR function, blah blah blah, things that aren't the core stuff that corp that the co-op is doing in its day to day. And you know, there was some notion that like, oh, if we pulled our resources, we'd be able to have like you know a really good accountant that is shared between us, and that would be like on to, on call. I mean, in de facto, that's actually what a lot of the cooperative. Uh, the co- co-tech people do have. They have the same accountant, third sector, shout out to them. But like, you know, um, so that was that was the kind of bigger vision. So it was obviously a much more formal structure than it actually is now. And then the one of the ideas was also profit sharing. So at the moment, there's a very small co-tech fund, which is, I, I'm not sure quite how much money there is, but not like tons. But the, one of the ideas was that potentially the co network, a bit like Co-op UK, not Co-op UK, and um, you know, the co-op could like, generate enough surplus that we could pull the surplus and then do cool things with it, like build products, spin out off mm. new organizations, this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and just for those listening who might be interested, like how much are you talking about small amounts? Because people bandy around the words sm- small and large in different ways. I believe that it's one pound per member per week. So for example, for We Are Open, four members, four pounds a week, 52 weeks of the year, it's you know just over 200 pounds. Um, he times that by how many co-ops we're talking a few thousand pounds not talking lots of money
2: yeah it's 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 good it's a good it's a good fund it quite probably like will keep um you know basic like stuff like ticking along like the website for example but it's not where the original some of the original intention was like so i guess where the divergent has happened divergence has happened is there was a lot of discussion in early days is this a network or is this some kind of organization and like, what does it look like? And What are the parallels and in inspirations? So I've already mentioned Inspiral. That was certainly in a lot of the people who's attended Heads when we went to those first meetings. Or is it more like, this is something that and um, John, who I know you've had on the podcast, um, speak about, like, is this more like the CBI, you know, the Confederation of British Industry? Is this like a lobby group for tech co-ops? You know, or is this like an, you know, what, what kind of format does this take? I think where it's got to now is it's kind of a loose network of cooperatives that collaborate with one another on a kind of more ad hoc basis. Um, and I think that does look quite different from the original vision, but it's still, you know, it functions like it, it does exist and it is a real thing and people talk about it and people do work with each other f- through it. And we have done, you know, a bunch of collaborations for it and we will always go to that forum and be like, oh, hey guys, we've got this question or whatever. So it does, it's useful. And yeah, so I guess that's the divergence. It has quite, at the moment, it hasn't quite cashed out at that like kind of full extent original vision that was had.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think also people go into the, I mean, people go into these things for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and people who joined Kotech maybe a couple of years after we did, um you know, you joined earlier than us, obviously before it even started. Um, but people who joined it a couple of years after that, to what extent is that original vision written down anywhere that they're gonna come across, you know, versus mm-hmm. this loose association, this loose network of of co-ops that you just described? Um one thing which so Laura did some facilitation. I don't know if you were there at that one, um, but Laura did some fantastic facilitation at one of the events. And one of the things that was discussed during that event was having some kind of role, like employing someone for a number of days a week to coordinate things. And that kind of was discussed, kind of died. But my understanding is that that's now much more of a live discussion. So so where are we at with that, if you know, Alex?
2: Yeah. Um, Laura, do you want to jump in and say what your understanding of that thing was briefly?
0: Oh, well... I mean I the way that I understood it and I was facilitating the entire weekend along with a couple of other folks um I think that was Wortley Hall 2017 I want to say um but there was a a discussion about something that we called the network coordinator role and essentially, everyone who was involved in Wortley Hall at that time uh, recognized the need for someone to spend a dedicated amount of time facilitating the network itself. So, um, you know, with hundreds of co ops, actually, I don't know how many members there are, but a lot. There are a lot of co ops mm-hmm. that are part of Co Tech. Um, and keeping them together, pushing, you know, pushing discussions forward, being able to make decisions on behalf of that original intention. Um, If it is a co-op, then one member, one vote, which means that each co-op gets a vote uh, when something is brought forward in the co-tech network. And it's enough members that that kind of coordination is not easy to do on the side of your desk. Um, And it's, you know, it's one of those things where, Um, It really takes heart and passion to be able to do that for a long term for, you know, for free, essentially. Um, And so what we discussed was, well, what if, you know, we used some of the pooled money or the sort of membership fee slash uh, donation um, pool of money and funded someone who at least on a part time basis, so 10, 20 hours a week. Um, could do the work that is involved in keeping a network like this functioning, helping people to make decisions, keeping uh, good documentation, all the things that are part of running a giant organization, because that's what we're talking about. I mean, it's a network, but... um, it should be funded, like people shouldn't have to work for free, um and so back then, you know we were kind of working out what is does what this network coordinator role actually look like? what would we be able to afford? How would we allow people to apply for it, et cetera, et cetera and all of this is i think we um at that time even uh, came up with like a job description kind of thing that's been housed on the wiki um but then yeah after we were all together, as these sorts of side projects tend to do, it lost a little bit of steam and now, years later, apparently it's gained steam again but in the in the between time in the last five six years, this role has not been fulfilled, and as far as I know, there isn't anybody that is you know tasked with keeping the network together or coordinating the network. It's still all a volunteer basis, which is you know, as as Doug said earlier, he's you know he's more or less in the Kotec forum, and I'm exactly the same. Um, so you know, when I when I have time for it, and sometimes I forget about it for months on end, and then I'm like, oh yeah, Kotech, I should see what's going on. Um, but it's not a you know, it's it's not a, a something that I can dedicate all that much time to with other things in my life. So
2: yeah, that makes background. sense. So. So, yeah, totally. Uh, That makes sense. So uh, just, uh, yeah, so so basically uh, the baton has been um, picked up with that particular task. And during the last um, in-person code tech gathering, you know, we got consent from the network as was there um, to basically push this along. So there's like a process that's going on that is basically um, being kind of facilitated by myself and John from um, Code Operative. Um, to basically just put some flesh on the bones of this and bring to the next COTECH gathering, which probably will be, you know, March, April, a clear proposal that has costings and so on and so forth to bring this this role in. in. So we need to ask lo- answer a lot of questions before this happens. You know, what legal formation does COTECH have? Because at the moment, it doesn't have any legal formation at all. You know, um, what... Uh, you know, what role, you know, what capacities does this person have, how much they paid, like, how often do they work? Like, what are they, you know, these kind of questions. Um, Because, I mean, our our view in common knowledge broadly and and probably John's view as well is that, like, this, yeah, as you said, Laura, these kind of things, like, need to be, someone needs to do the organising, right? Mm. Um, They need to be an organiser. And this doesn't mean to, like, dictate the direction, but this does mean to make sure it keep, keeps ticking along and facilitate uh, things. And I I hope that this year we can see that over the line. Of course, what what the difficulty comes with as with all these things is like, you know, what powers they have. There was some anxiety around the powers that they have. Like, is this centralizing a function? Mm. You know, will they have too much power? Then of course there's, you know, who's going to pay for this and what value is, you know, returned to them, um, returned to the network as a whole. Now, I personally think that it will be self-evident. That the value will be absolutely, you know, exponential for the network, and because that's what my organizing experience—you know—we work with organizers, community organizers, uh, you know, political organizers, this kind of thing, and we know from that work that having someone with with time to spend on this stuff like is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my my broad hope is that at some point this year we get that over the line and we begin to you know, see the benefits of that and see that Kotech becomes much more of a flourishing organization. Um, it's not that it's not, this not flourishing now, but it, could, you know, gets to the next stage.
0: So I just, okay. um, I just put into our notes two links to help you with the task that uh, that you're working on. I don't know if you've seen this wiki page from uh, Wortley Hall where we worked out what are the responsibilities, what are we looking for, all the things we have to talk about. But if you can, uh, please do feel free to build off of uh, very old work. Maybe it saves you some time. Uh, and I also link to a discussion in the discourse forum i don 't know if you 've seen these things, and forgive me if i 'm uh giving you stuff you 've already seen, but if it mm. saves you any time, I am a big proponent of remixing other people 's work
2: no, I mean that saves a lot of time the fact and it kind of shows that one of the difficulties here is there like you know i didn 't know about that and but i I have been involved, but it shows that like one of the roles this person will have is like broadcasting things to the network making sure that like the institutional memory is maintained yeah um yeah you know, exactly it is it is maintained pretty well like there is a wiki that has a lot of information on it but it's just like you know someone i do so i think as well like having observed people with this role in other organizations or other networks for example the catalyst network they have someone who is a network coordinator and it is like pretty so you basically feel someone's on it someone's like someone's on it like they are doing the thing they are making sure that the kind of like conversations flow as a good facilitator should. And that's kind of what's needed. Um, Yeah. We're doing
1: something similar as a co-op with Mm. a platform around open badges and stuff at the moment. And you have to, you have to have someone showing up. If not every day, then several times a week, just making sure that all of the stuff which is irrelevant doesn't stay there. And that when people do the kinds of things, which, The community is for that stuff gets surfaced and um, plus one, and all that kind of thing. Um, One of the things that we've made a note of to talk about, and was very aware of time, is the difference between people talking about networks and people talking about community. And Alex, maybe you could introduce this bit a little bit because I know that you, you know, you you were thinking and we were talking about before we started recording about people talking about communities when maybe they mean something else.
2: Mm, yeah. I mean, just the, like, you know, people use the word community a lot, very useless, loosely Um And they'll say like the open source community um, or I don't know, the discord communities, or they'll say, um, you know, they'll just use this word quite loosely. And I was wondering and thinking about what the difference between a community and a network is. Um, and you know are all communities networks at some level of analysis are all networks communities? It feels that you know there was some discourse around uh, in the you know the early you know first ten years first decade of the twenty first century about like loose ties and that kind of thing like network coordination there was some enthusiasm around this around the time of um you know the movement of the squares so occupy wall street and also what was called the arab spring there was some excitement about the possibility of networks obviously there was the web 2.0 revolution at the time there was some excitement about this stuff and there was some also some critique about it but i what i've noticed out there is people talk less about networks and more about communities now and i'm wondering what's behind that is there a, is there a kind of difference between two ontologically in a sense Or is it merely superficial? Um, Yeah, I don't know what you thought about that, either of you.
1: When when you kind of put this in the notes for something for us to to talk about, it reminded me of something which is literally, what, 15 and a half years ago now, more like right at the start of my career. So someone called Stephen Downs, a Canadian educator, who I'm hopefully going to be doing some work around critical literacies with soon. He um, did some work around groups and networks. And there was a blog post It's always useful to be able to search your own stuff. And I quoted him in a blog post in September 2006. And he said, "Um, I've been thinking today about the distinction between groups and networks. Groups require unity. Networks require diversity. Groups require coherence. Networks require autonomy. Groups require privacy or segregation. Networks require openness. Groups require focus of voice. Networks require interaction. The group I am with right now is very intent on being a group. That doesn't interest me. I have no wish to lose my identity and my freedom, my empowerment, because a group is very is subject to this very objection, backlash, groupthink. The works, but a network is not. And I think if we substitute um, the word community for group, it might get to the nub of what we're talking about here in terms of the different. When people say community, they think homogenous. Whereas networks are heterogeneous, and I feel like co-tech is a network, but actually, I think a lot of people want it or see it as being a community.
2: Apologies for my doorbell there. I don't know if you uh, if you picked that up. <laughs> but that's someone no. someone wanting to come into the network of my house. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it does to some some degree, but I think this this maybe gets a bit interesting here because, like, I would say that groups good functional groups, functioning groups require diversity. Um, and I would say that functioning groups, so like a cooperative, a functioning communities, also require autonomy. So it gets a bit muddy once you begin to like think through this quote. So there are networks that require openness, of course, but there are also networks and without wanting to take a conspiratorial turn, there are definitely networks that aren't open um, and that function better because in part because they are slightly closed because they draw boundaries um, between themselves and others. Because even if you think of like kotech as a network, it, there, is, there is an in and out, right? There is, you, mm. you can't, n- not everyone can become a member of kotech It's not, you have to subscribe to certain norms um, in order to kind of get in the mix. You have to have a certain legal structure as an organization. So yeah, I I think that, I think that, that of those things, I think that like, the coherence thing is perhaps the most interesting. Um, I think,
0: I just wanted to say, I think there's something really interesting here about self-actualization. So if I want to be part of a community, I have a choice to be part of that community. I can get involved with it. I can learn about the norms of it. I can participate in some form or fashion and that is my choice. Whereas um, I don't see it much as a choice being part of a network. If you're... If you're a node in the network, you're a node in the network, and I'm not sure that you can sort of abstract yourself from it. Um, so as an example, you know, if you worked in educational technology at a certain time in the advent of the web, in the early days of the web, you might be part of, you know, sort of OG ed tech kinds of people. And whether or not you participate in that network actively does not remove you from being part of it. And a good example here would be Stephen Downs. He wrote this 15 years ago. Um, We're still having a conversation about it, but he's not part of the conversation, unless you're listening. Hi, Stephen. Um, And so I think there's something here around your own, a community member's or a network member's choice in the matter. I don't know if I'm just sort of spinning out, but coming at it from that. Um, no, I, I know what you mean.
1: Like you could have literally like a Twitter account and never interact with anyone else, but other people would mention you, which would mean that you were a node on the network, the social graph of that thing. I guess. Yeah.
2: I guess that totally makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, what, I think I'm, I think that does make sense, and it's also like you know there are. It does make sense. I think, yeah, I think that makes sense. Like a community is a much more intentional thing where you kind of describe you're in and out of it. Whereas a network is, is kind of like a, a reading of like social reality to some degree. And you just happen to be an element of it. But people use communities in, in that kind of way. Like, you know, ge- geographically bounded communities. Like, you know, I am part of the London community. Um, would it be more appropriate to talk about a network? I'm not quite sure. Doug, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just, I think
1: that um, the way that we would use community as people who would self-identify maybe with open source software and culture and is different to the way that people say, I don't know, right-wing politicians would use the word community. Um, Whereas, and, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but a right-wing politician might use the word community to mean everything which can't be, um, affected directly with capital, yeah. Whereas we might want to differentiate, let's say, open source community. We might say, well, there isn't one, really, one open source community. There's lots of different open source communities, which we happen to refer to for ease of reference as the open source community. Um, so there's a there's a difference in emphasis when we're talking about these kinds of things. If that
2: it makes sense yeah i think that's i think that's the i think that's true i think that like i mean one of the things that i did in my past life as a philosopher was look at um this debate that happened in the in the early late 80s and early 90s which was called the communitarianism liberalism debate in kind of political philosophy which was basically between you know perhaps the default for like Like western political thought which is liberalism you know sovereign individuals interacting in markets versus a kind of more aristotelian like the version of this where you know it's concrete individuals operating in communities um blah 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 and you know this 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 particular distinction had the had this kind of like even debate in the level of public policy um uh you know with the the kind of blair era and the, the clinton era the new democrats and, the, and new labor there was a kind of c- communitarian thing that was talked of and i think that yeah so community definitely has and and one of the things that i was right writing was i pitched a book which was called against community um that was talking about how community as you described can be this kind of like homogenizing notion um and can be you know quite an oppressive like notion um in, in certain situations and that you know certainly is the case i think they're like there there is like a a desire to always valorize community and always say you know i really want to be part of a community Communities, yeah
1: nobody's like
2: yeah
1: <laughs> i was like we shouldn't have communities uh, when we when we were looking i was looking at these notes in preparation i was thinking about you know margaret thatcher talking about there being no such thing as society just groups of individuals and i'm sure that all kind of um went into your your philosophical work around communitarianism and things one thing that i i think we'd love to get you back to the podcast just looking at the time to talk about is given all of the stuff around web three a lot of it seems to have quite problematic notions about what constitutes a community baked Mm -hmm. into it like commodified relationships everything being tokenized that kind of thing um so maybe we could park the discussion there for the moment and then come
2: back and give the whole
1: thing a Web3 spin.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, uh, the other thing that I wrote for my PhD, my much maligned PhD, was analysis of the, the political phenomena called neoliberalism. And mm. neoliberalism, amongst its other aspects, has financialization as an element of it. And I'm afraid to say that a lot of the Web3 stuff that I have personally seen, it seems to be like financialization of all existing reality which (laughs) to me seems a terrifying a terrifying prospect and you know as I said earlier that I don't want to completely valorize community there is a dark side to community and a difficult bit but at the same time like I'm pretty sure that uh, community doesn't just look like the financialization of all human relations I'm pretty sure that isn't community (laughs) I'll defend (laughs) that
1: okay Laura how shall we wrap this one up
0: Um, honestly, I don't know because I, all my brain is just spitting out a lot of different things around the idea of community. And I think I could talk at a philosophical level about communities and networks all day. Um, but I like the idea of shelving it until we can talk specifically about web three, because I'm sure I can throw down and have some fights about what's going on in that community, particularly as, um, Yeah, I'm really interested in when we talk about communities, talking about the people that are not part of the communities or not uh, the marginalized folks who are not automatically thought of. Uh, And I think uh, Web 3.0 and indeed the uh, invention of technology uh, has left out some people. And I'd love to come at community from a perspective that includes some of those uh, perspectives or voices. Um, so i would say let's let's talk about uh, web3 and diversity and inclusion and communities all at the same time we should probably set around i don't know 3 one thing 4 that hours I'd like for to that. encourage
1: people to do <laughs> one one thing that i'd like people to encourage people to do this season in particular is if you've heard anything on today's episode or on previous ones um, these the audio goes to your favorite podcast client automatically via the wonders of RSS and other open technologies. But also, the place where we upload it to that does all of that is SoundCloud. And if you would like to leave comments on this, then the probably the best place to go is to go to SoundCloud, find the exact bit of the audio that you want to leave a comment about, and then you can leave a comment there. So you know you might have some comments about networks and communities you can find a bit of the audio and you can comment there so we would love some kind of listener interaction um and if you would like to see alex back on the podcast which i'm sure we would as well and talk about web3 then let us know that would be great but for now alex thank you so much for your time and um, we look forward to collaborating again soon excellent looking forward to it too all
0: right bye everyone
2: bye bye